How's your life? That's probably a really loaded question, isn't it? How's your life? If you had to rate your life on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your life today? How's your life? Well, I suppose if we took a poll and everybody gave their number, there might be a a few 10s in the group this morning. Hopefully there are some who are at the 10 level of their life right this moment. But I have to say, unfortunately, I imagine there might be some ones as well. Things are not going so good, and maybe uh, you're not uh, really particularly feeling good about your life at this moment. I really think that we'd find a lot of people someplace in the middle there, someplace between one and ten. Uh, there'd be a lot of people. The amazing thing would be if we took the same poll next week, we might get a totally different result. It's very possible that those who would rate their life as a 10 today, by the time next week rolls around, they might rate their life as a 1. Because that's the way things happen. Life goes up and down. There's highs, there's lows. Usually we're somewhere in the middle, but life changes, doesn't it? You ever watched a little kid? Uh, maybe they're playing with other children, and there's a little spat or feud, and something happens, and... You see this one little kid go off to the side and sit over there crying, nobody loves me, they say, nobody loves me. And it's not ten minutes later till they're out amidst the, in, in the middle of the crowd, whooping it up and laughing and hollering and running around. Little kids have swings of emotions like that, but as adults we, we do as well. Uh, what we really want, of course, what we really desire is, is a good, happy life. It'd be wonderful if we could always be at the 10 level, if our lives could always be just what we want them to be. That's probably not going to ever happen in, the, in physical terms. But in regards to spiritual things, I believe that it can be so. And we believe that there's a prescription for us to follow if we want to have that good and happy life. We're going to use 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 as the text for our study this morning that Yancey read for us just a few moments ago, we want to suggest to you that here in this passage, we have a prescription for life. You want your life to be good? You want everything to be going in the right direction? The Scriptures give us the answer to that. We'll be looking to that in our study this morning. We stop here for just a minute to add words of welcome to those that Anthony already expressed. We're glad that you're here today. We are especially appreciative of our visitors. Thanks for coming our way. We hope you come back every time you have an opportunity. We are open to your questions about what we're doing at College View. We're just trying to follow the Bible. We want to, we want to be a church like the church that you read about in the pages of the New Testament. Uh, that being the case, if you ask us why are you doing that and why are you doing it that way, we would try to give you a book, chapter, and verse answer, thus saith the Lord, because we feel compelled to do that. So if you have questions, ask them. Uh, as you observe what's being done, as you listen to the lesson that's being taught, compare to the Scriptures. If you have any questions, or even if you might disagree with something we're doing, please say so, and we'd be glad to study the Word with you. We believe if we are honest-hearted, we can come to a, a, a proper, a correct, and agreed answer to the things that are in the Word of God. But again, we thank everybody for being here today. So look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him, ensue peace and, uh, let, let him seek peace and ensue it. Well, right here is the key expression. Love life, see good days. And I apologize for that 
picture on the screen. You're not seeing that too well. It sure looks better over on this screen than it does on that screen. It's a little dark. But you, you get the point. He that will love life and see good days. Well, that's it, right? That's, that's what we're interested in. And so that, that, that describes our intention. Um, we really want to love life. Uh, we want things to be good. We want to see good days. Um, but I want you to also notice here that the text suggests that this is an act of the will. Three times in those two verses it says, let him, let him, let him. Which indicates that it's something that we've got to do. If we want to love life and see good days, that's not just going to happen accidentally just by chance. Oh, you're lucky. You've got a good life. My life's not so good. It just, it's all just the luck of the draw. No. That's not what this text says. This text suggests that there's an act of the will. Something that we can do in order to love life uh, and see good days. The advice contained here in 1 Peter chapter 3, obviously these words were penned by inspiration in the first century A.D., but these are almost a verbatim quote of something that's in Psalms 34, uh, verses 12 through 15. Now, the book of Psalms would have been written a thousand years earlier than that, right? So, this suggests to us that the principles set forth here uh, are timeless in nature. Love life, see good days, what do you do? Well, we want to start out with the first expression, and let him refrain his tongue from evil and his, uh, and his lips that they speak no guile. I think it's really noteworthy that a good life, a happy life, starts with controlling the tongue. Now, that should almost be logical to us when we stop to consider how often our tongues get us into trouble. Our own experience would bear that out, wouldn't it? That when we misuse our tongue, when we say things that we shouldn't say, we introduce all kinds of strife and trouble into our lives. Uh, again, I think our experience would bear that out, but certainly the Bible also teaches us that. And so the Bible has so much instruction for us about controlling our tongues. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. As we've talked about that passage before, we've talked about sort of the very easily perceived connection of seasoning with salt. What do you do with salt? Well, a, a right amount really helps something, the flavor of something. Too much ruins it. None at all is no good. Too much is no good. Just the right amount. Very carefully applied. You have to you, use salt with caution. And in Colossians 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul is telling us, use that same kind of caution when it comes to your lips, to the, to the things that you say. In Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 29. Ephesians 4, 29, Paul says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace into the hat, and to the hearers. We've got to be really careful with our tongues because we can do good or bad. Uh, unfortunately, too often, our lives are, are brought into some havoc because we are not refraining our tongue from evil and our lips that they speak no God. We're not being careful with what we say. Turn with me over to James chapter 2, probably, or excuse me, James chapter 3, really. Probably one of the most famous texts on controlling the tongue is found in James chapter 3, 
Verse 2, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. I believe that James is saying there that controlling our tongues is a high indication of our spiritual maturity. It's possible to offend in many ways. But if you're a person who has mastered the ability to control your tongue and not say things you shouldn't say, you're demonstrating that you've achieved a high level of maturity. And that would indicate this is one of the great challenges of our spiritual lives. Control your tongue. Be careful what you say. Use it for good. Don't use it for bad. And then, and then James goes on to describe. He says, Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it, set, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. In those verses, I think James is telling just about how powerful the tongue is. He talks about how you can control a horse with a bit in its mouth, how you can turn a great ship with a small helm. He says the tongue's a small member of our physical body, but it can do all kinds of harm. It can bring great havoc. We've got to be careful. As Christians, we need to take, take uh, this warning to heart. Because all of us, I believe if we're honest, all of us will admit that we say things that we ought not to say, uh, we're, we're guilty of, of doing harm with our tongues instead of good. And, and the passage that we're studying this morning says, well, that's going to keep us from loving life and seeing good days. You need to refrain your tongue from evil, your lips that they speak no guile. And that's not an easy thing. That's not, that's not just fall, like falling off a log. That's, that's something hard to do. And then James concludes his uh, statements or, or his brief essay about the tongue uh, there in verse 7 of James 3, Every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Think about what James says there. Men have... Uh, have been able to tame all kinds of wild beasts. Some, obviously, much easier than others, but you even think of the lion tamer in the circus. There, there's, a, there's a lion. I mean, a fiercest of animals. But the lion tamer has tamed him. The lion, the lion tamer is able to control him, make him do what he wants to do. But James says the tongue's even harder than that. It's hard to tame the tongue. Now, Someone said, well, James admits the reality. The reality is you can't do anything about it. You're going to say things you shouldn't say. Sometimes you're going to say things that, that you shouldn't have spoken. But James says it can't be tamed. That's really not what he's saying. That, of course, is what he's saying, but he's not saying it can't be controlled. He says it can't be tamed. Something that can't be tamed has to be constantly kept under guard, right? You have to keep it under control constantly. You can't tame it in the sense that you can trust it on its own. You know, you can, tame, you can tame a wild beast so that you don't have to constantly be watching it. If you can't tame the tongue, you've got to constantly be watching the tongue. So James is not saying it's impossible to control. He's saying it's impossible to tame it. And therefore, for as long as you live and every day that you live, 
you're going to have to work at controlling your tongue. And again, back to our text for consideration this morning is, if you don't do that, if you don't control your tongue, control your gossip, control your words of rage, your cursing, your lying, all the sins of the tongue that we've studied so many times, if you don't control the tongue, you're not going to, you're not going to love life. You're not going to see good days. Well, the next part of this prescription that Peter puts forth for us here is, let him eschew evil and do good. Eschew evil. Uh, heard, heard a story of a fellow once uh, who, who chewed tobacco. Uh, he didn't smoke. He chewed tobacco. And, and when the preacher preached about the sin of using tobacco, he said, well, he, he used this passage as justification. See, you shouldn't, if tobacco is evil, you shouldn't smoke it. You should just chew it, he said. Just chew it. Chew it. He, he, he was arguing that you could chew tobacco based upon, no, that's obviously not what the word means. And I think Yancey's version said what the word literally means. It, it means to turn from it or avoid it. So here where the King James says that we should eschew evil, uh, the idea of that is means to avoid it altogether. Now, one of our problems, I, I want to love life and see good days. But one of my problems, and I think for all of us as Christians, I, we want to mix a little evil in there, you know. Uh, we we want to we have a little evil in our life, a little good, you know. And maybe we even have it in our mind that if, if, if on a balance scale... The good I do outweighs the evil that I do. As long as I've got a little more good than evil, as long as the balance scale is tipped slightly in the favor of good, everything is all right. And that obviously is not the case. That just results in failure. And it results in unhappiness. And of course, one of the great problems is it burdens us with guilt. We can't love life and see good days when we allow evil in our lives because that evil in our lives is going to burden us with guilt. It's going to bring heartache. Uh, great difficulties. We need to eschew evil. We need to get rid of it, turn away from it, avoid it at all costs. In Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, the description of our Savior. But unto the Son, He saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of Thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Uh, therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness over thy fellows. Uh, our, our Savior hated iniquity, and that needs to be our disposition toward it too. I, I just don't think that we are, uh, in, in the modern world, I don't think we are significantly opposed to evil. That We don't hate it, we don't dread it, we don't avoid it. You know, the fact that Christians can be entertained by evil things uh, is a, really a scary consideration. So here's a Christian, and I've known of Christians who've argued, I, I can go and watch that R-rated movie, you know. Well, what are you going for? Well, I guess you go to movies to be entertained, right? So you're being entertained by evil You've been, the people who make the movies, who are not, who are not rating them based upon spiritual principles, but even by their worldly standards, they have said, this is an R-rated movie. This is, this is restricted. The, basically, those people are saying, this movie is just full of all kinds of immoral trash. Know ahead of time, before you go, it's got an R rating. 
And yet Christians go to those movies, and they are entertained by those movies. Uh, is that eschewing evil? Is, is that avoiding it? Is that hating iniquity like our Savior did? Psalm 119, 104. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Can you say that? Can you identify that? I hate every false way. That's the way it needs to be. If we're going to love life and see good days, we've got to eschew evil. We've got to turn from it and avoid it. Now, the other part of that, though, suggests that you can't just rid that out of your life. You've got to replace it with something positive. Eschew evil and do good. And maybe we let down somewhat there, too. I'm trying hard to keep all this evil out of my life, but I'm not filling it up with anything. I need to fill it up with doing good. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus uh, spoke about a situation. I think it's a passage that's sometimes a little bit hard to understand. Uh, we know that he was speaking in the day when there was demon possession and when there was the, and, and where people had the miraculous ability to cast out demons. We know that that's the, the, the time frame setting of these words. But there's a principle here. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, beginning verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. The last state of that man is worse than the first, even so shall it be unto this wicked generation." Now, there's, there, there's all kinds of things that might be said about that text. And again, understand the historical time setting there of demon possession and, and those who could cast, miraculously cast out demons. But the idea is here, he got rid of this demon. The demon was gone, but the house was empty. He hadn't filled it up. And so the demon came again, and the latter end was worse. He brought others with him. And I think that sort of pictures the idea in our lives. If, we, if we're just saying, oh, I'm going to get all this evil out of my life, but if we don't fill our lives up with good, then we're, we're not going to succeed in that way. Until we develop a hatred for evil, but also become totally devoted to doing good in our lives, then we're not going to love life and see good days. We're not following the prescription, if you will, that's stated here. Finally, the text says, let him seek peace and ensue it. Now, here's another older Instead of ensue, newer versions will say pursue. So, seek peace and pursue it. We need to be at peace. We need to have peace. If our lives are going to be happy and we're going to see good days, we have to have peace. Let me ask you this question. Just think back in your own memory. Can you ever remember a time in your life when you were truly happy, but you were engaged in conflict. Uh, there, were, there was some kind of turmoil, conflict going on in your life. It may have been in your home life. You ever been happy when there's trouble at home? Maybe it was on your job. You ever been? You, has your life ever been really happy when there was all kind of turmoil and conflict at your job place where you work? No. Have you, ever, have you ever been happy and felt really good about things when there was trouble in the church? Unfortunately, we have to say that in various places and times where we've been, all of us can probably talk about trouble in the church, which is a very hard kind of trouble. 
You ever really felt good when there was trouble in the church? No, that's not loving life and seeing good days when there's no peace. Wherever that, wherever that conflict might be in your life, if there's no peace, then you're not seeing, you're not having good days. And so, what do you do about that? Well, you seek peace. And to seek peace suggests the idea that you put forth the effort to have peace. You pursue it. Um, in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, I think many of you will remember that the Apostle Paul encourages, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Well, that suggests I have a responsibility in this matter, right? As, as much as it's up to me, then I need to be at peace with all men. Don't take it for granted. Don't wait for the other guy to come to me to try and resolve a problem. I seek peace and I pursue it. That's what I've got to do. Lots of times I believe we have the attitude, well, that other guy, that other guy, I'll I, I'll listen to him. If, he, if, he, if he'll swallow his pride and come talk to me, then maybe we can work it out. But I'm not going to him. I'm not going to talk to him about that. No, we need to be at peace. We need to seek peace. We need to pursue it. Don't wait for the other fellow. Be positive. Be, I guess the word we use these days is be proactive in seeking peace and pursuing it. It's necessary. If our lives are going to be happy, if we're going to, have, if we're going to love life and see good days, we've got to pursue peace. And of course, the ultimate peace we need is peace with God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be at peace with God. But again, you have to, you have to, you have to be active in that. That doesn't, that doesn't happen by chance or coincidentally. You have to be active in seeking peace with God. As we think about that, as we lead up to singing a song of invitation in a moment, we just ask all who are here, are you at peace with God? If you're not a Christian yet and you've never obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation, then you cannot say you're at peace with God. If you're of an accountable age and you understand the truth, if you realize your sinful condition but you've never obeyed the gospel, you are not at peace with God. Hearing His truth, you must believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. To be at peace with God. There may be others who have done those initial things but haven't remained faithful to God. And if that's the case, then you're not at peace with God either. And ultimately, you, you have not, in, in the most important way of all, you've not followed this prescription. Your life is not good. You're not, you're not going to love life and see good days when you remain in an alienated condition with God. So, here's a prescription. You might even... And not only uh, the picture I chose is really bad this morning, but the background picture here shows some pill bottles and pills, like a, a prescription that the doctor might write for you if you have some physical ailment. Uh, if, if you have an ailment, and you want to go to the doctor and you want a prescription, give me a prescription. I want, I want something that's going to work to get rid of this that I've got, make me feel better, right? Well, here's a prescription for life that has to do with our spiritual well-being. He that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile, let him eschew evil and, and do good, let him seek peace and ensue it. There's your prescription. Now, 
there's a difference here. That, that prescription that the doctor gives me for a physical condition, it might not work. Right? There might be lots of things wrong with it. Maybe he even misdiagnosed my condition. We talked to a friend uh, this week who, ha- who the doctor prescribed medicine and it wasn't even for what she was dealing with. They misdiagnosed her condition, gave her the wrong medicine. Or it might be that the particular physical problem you've got, the medicine won't touch it. And so there's no guarantee. I mean, the doctors are pretty good, and the prescriptions they give are generally pretty effective, but it's not a guarantee. But I'm going to tell you, this, this passage is a guarantee. Love life, see good days. We have a guarantee that this will work. Um, now, what standard are you going by? Well, if your standard is a worldly consideration, health and wealth, like some people preach, no, that's not guaranteed. But having a good life spiritually and being right with God is guaranteed. Look at the next verse. The very next verse, verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. That's a guarantee. And so that tells us that spiritually speaking, this prescription works, it works every time without fail, because when we do this, God promises to watch over us. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. You'll be right with God. You'll be in a fellowship with him. And that's the ultimate test of the good life. What's your situation this morning? Will you love life and see good days? Uh, are you at a 10 level? Go back to where we started. How would you rate your life right now? Are you at a 10 you need to be, and if you're not, if there's something going on in your spiritual life that has you at less than an ideal situation, you need to change that. You need to come to the Lord in initial obedience, as we talked about a moment ago, or if you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, be restored to a right relationship with Him. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song. I'm